0: Today's episode of the BS Podcast is brought to you by SeatGeek. That's been our presenting sponsor since 1975. Find the best tickets for sports, music, wrestling, opera, March Madness, which is now over, but technically, maybe next year, 2018, March Madness. Regardless, what better way to grab tickets for just about everything? I have SeatGeek on my phone, by far the easiest way to shop for the best tickets possible. Thanks to their revolutionary grading system, buy and sell tickets with just two taps on your phone, everything fully guaranteed. To try it out, download the SeatGeek app or go right to SeatGeek.com. We are also brought to you by Cabbage. They help small business owners access simple, flexible funding right away without the headaches that come with applying for a traditional loan. It's a simple way for businesses to get flexible access to up to $100,000. If you visit cabbage.com slash BS right now, that's Cabbage with a K, you'll get a $100 Visa gift card when you qualify. That's K-A-B-B-A-G-E.com slash bs and finally we are brought to you by the ringer podcast network do you love the wwe and wrestlemania talk you do brian curtis absolutely well subscribe to the Mass man show i don't have to tell you that your buddy a david <laughs> shoemaker do you love video games try out cheap and oriented do you love tv and movies head over to channel 33 and the watch do you love march madness subscribe to ringer university and the teed up podcast do you love the masters subscribe to the shack house pod for their big masters preview this week and we have the Ringer, NBA, NFL, and MLB shows as well. The Ringer Podcast Network, something for everybody. And speaking of something for everybody, here's Pearl Jam. In the office with the Ringer's editor-at-large, Brian Curtis. It's been a while. Hello, friends.
1: <laughs> Brian Curtis here. Hello, friends. It feels like that time of year, doesn't it? You start it's, talking like Jim Nance, right? It's we're, Nance time. We're in the NCAA Tournament Masters Corridor here.
0: Do you agree with Mark Titus's philosophy that Jim Nance did not like all the Gus Johnson attention, so he had him
1: liquidated? <laughs> pushed him to Fox? <laughs> you think so? He won't let him come back? Well, oh, I like that. That's an amazing theory. It's a great one. I, I'll do credit to Mark Titus. I just think Jim Nance is probably just on a different plane. And, and I don't I don't know that that gets back to him, really. I kind of don't, don't believe it. Th- you don't think Just, that- I kind of don't believe it now. Because I was one of the people driving this in
0: 08, 09, whatever that range was with Gus. March Madness, once Twitter got going, Gus had a lot of momentum from that. It's yeah. like, oh my God, it's Gus Johnson time. And they're writing stories. And this guy, he's the most <laughs> exciting. The other play-by-play guys kind of resent him. <laughs> right. he's, he's played, this is a shtick. He's not a real, he's not one of us. That's all going on. Then he
1: goes to Fox and he, and that's it. Yeah. It would kind of shocked me more. I think if Vern Lundquist was mad at Gus Johnson, like, you're taking my number two <laughs> slot, <laughs> horning in on my territory. Did you see there was an interview with Gus in the New York Post the other day? And he sounded like he really missed March Madness. Why wouldn't he?
0: I'm, well, so yesterday, one of the things I want to talk to you about is in WrestleMania, Jim Ross comes back for the main event, the oh. best wrestling announcer ever. It's never really been clear why he's not involved with the WWE full time, I'm I'm sure. Maybe they didn't want a, an announcer who was bigger than everyone else. Maybe there's money stuff. Who knows? But he came back and he did The Undertaker's last match. And it was like he never left. He was great. It felt bigger. And it got me thinking. I texted you. I was like, man, this, this, I wonder if this paves the way for Gus. Couldn't <laughs> Gus just come back? Like Chris Weber's, <laughs> yeah. Chris Weber's on these games. Right. Because of a weird CBS Turner agreement. Gus is on Fox technically, but. Isn't it good for Fox to bring Gus Johnson back for two weeks? Just loan
1: him out? Absolutely. Yeah. Why would they do this? Bring him back to where he needs to be, right? Yeah. And we all remember and go, oh, that's great. And then he leaves the next day. We go, okay, that was great. We had our little moment, right? Was Vern Lundquist out? Well, Vern's doing college basketball and golf, but let me tell you. So he's not out. But I think we should apply this to all sports. Like you said, we need the old timers game of announcing. Mm. So like a year or two ago, the Cowboys, their radio guy, had to it was a sabbath he's jewish so he couldn't do it was a saturday game and he couldn't do it they call Vern, who did radio cowboys in the 70s Vern came back and did one game and it was magnificent yeah now with a lot of these guys you don't want them coming back full time yeah it's like too much ice cream you know you get sick or right? oh whoops yeah no pat summerall came back a couple of years ago and did a cotton Bowl late in life and it was it was rough it was not good yeah, it would have been better to have the, as you used to say, the video game Pat just hitting a button and you know doing his computer catchphrase. generated Pat. <laughs> <laughs> it was so bad, but I like the idea of you bring him out of the, you know, you bring him out once in a while. Here we go, it feels special, right? I think we spend more time complaining about announcers than really
0: anything else as sports fans, other than ticket prices and salaries and referees, probably. right? And referees, so we now- just assume referees are going to be terrible. Yeah. I guess coaches. I, you're right. Maybe announcers aren't in the top five, but we do spend way too much time. They're up there. No, we're never happy with anybody. Joe Buck, who I think, you know, I was not a big Joe Buck fan earlier and I thought I thought he stripped it down too much. He even admitted when he came on this podcast, like the summer influence actually affected him negatively. He did a pat impression for like two years. Yeah. And I think he admits that now. Now he's able to kind of engage with the game. I think he's still really good. And I think people appreciate him when he's gone, but- Other than that, it's not. I don't look around and just see a slew of of great play by play guys. And what's weird is it's the same guys every year. Same guys, it never changes. And if you're, let's say you're some twenty six year old prodigy, like how do you even break in? I guess you go to a team first.
1: Yeah, I mean, isn't it? I I think about this all the time. It's the same guys from when we were young. Yeah, Marv is number one on the NBA. Right. Dick Stockton is still around. Marvin, you know? Dick Stockton still. Dick Enberg just retired from the Padres last year. Right. We just said goodbye Brent to Brent. We just said goodbye to Brent, who's now in Vegas doing something I don't quite yeah. understand. Right. But it's really the same old guard, you know, and Costas kind of just downsized himself a little bit. You know, Al Michaels. But it's still Al. There was Costas was still around. All these guys. And it's kind of like, you look around, like, these are the guys who were calling games when I was a kid. Yeah. And it's the same group. Here's what's, I think, going to change, though the three network era slash four network era those guys were so big because they called everything yeah you know and now we're sliding away from that and i just don't know if just specialty for every sport if i'm the new bob costas am i gonna be ever be that big is it just not possible because costas was coming up and those guys were coming up in that network era you know where it's like it was there was cable but it was still so big and now it's just you would not be that big anymore i don't know like who would be, I don't even know who had as a chance to be the next Bob Costas. Well, like, let's just say Tariko right? Since he came up from ESPN. Now it's a little, he did come up in the air when it's, ESPN in his was 40s bigger. 40s now though. Yeah. But I'm saying like, will he ever touch, you know, the Mount Olympus that Bob did just in terms, I don't even know, like, just as big. I think it's going to be one sport per announcer. Yeah. I think you'll see the,
0: basically the Doc Emmerich, Kevin Harlan does football, but really I think of him as a basketball guy. Love you know, back. he's good. And, back and, and, from the dead on Easter Sunday. It's still
1: my favorite NCAA tournament call. Forget Gus. <laughs> that was amazing.
0: I thought what TNT tried to do on these Player Monday things was an admirable attempt. <laughs> but turns out, guess what? Turns out you need play-by-play guys for games. Yeah. I'm not convinced you need studio hosts. I will still die on that hill forever, like for pregame shows and stuff like that. Unless it's somebody that clicks with the crew. I think the host, you end up trying to gear the show around the host to have, give them something to do basically. Yeah. I'd rather just hear the people and the chemistry, but you need play by play guys. You, you just do. I, I was watching Derek Fisher and Brent Berry. I actually like Brent Berry, Derek Fisher. I'm, I'm a little dubious of as a media person. Those were the two guys announcing a game in Utah. <laughs> it was it coming back from commercial? They're doing bumps. They're setting up sideline reporters. It's like, all
1: right, this is cute, but why are we doing this? Yeah. I remember Fox did a couple years ago. They put Terry and Jimmy in a booth with nobody. And you know what always happens is one guy becomes the bad play-by-play man. Right. And the other guy becomes the kind of color guy. And (laughs) you're just like, oh, but why don't we just have the good play-by-play man? By the way, this was when I named football for- how long with Frank Gifford? <laughs> yeah,
0: Frank Gifford wrong. never should have done play he by play. He was bad play by play man. Yeah, forever,
1: and then God. they finally got Al Michaels in. He just gets so much stuff wrong. Remember that? Oh. When he was kind of in the end. That was that was rough. I've had
0: my column, the sports guy column, now for almost twenty years. I he was still there when it started. It was like just oh a, yeah. Frank was a godsend. <laughs> he he was just. You know, he wouldn't, he wasn't even really announcing anymore. He would just go into these little mini biographies of each player. Like, Oh, there's Tony Romo. (sighs) So many years, Tony Romo trying so hard. Get to a
1: Super Bowl. It's never happened. Oh, You're boy. Just Great, to these player. Great, Great player. Great players. Yeah, I remember when he was in the Cowboys in their you know, prime Super Bowl years, and he would call Emmett Smith, Emmett Thomas, all the time, who was mm-hmm. the assistant coach. I'm like, it's the NFL's leading rusher. Like This is the one guy you should get right in this game. The like, guy just ran for 80 yards. He that's got, a red no, flag. Emmitt Smith. When they're, yeah.
0: when they're mixing up names, that's a red flag. When they- when they're getting like the uh stepdad of bounds, oh no we didn't, I'm sorry, when they're apologizing for <laughs> wrong play by play. Right. you you see Doc Emmerich, like he's just batting a hundred out of a hundred for everything he does.
1: So if so if you say we're going to single sport, which I think is right. Yeah. Then this is the end. So these are this'll will, this'll will be the last guard of the of the multi, Joe Buck, who yeah. just had the craziest World Series Super Bowl combo in terms of quality of game ever oh, world yeah. world series game seven super bowl overtime greatest super bowl comeback ever in the cubs in the world series. Me, Yeah, how do you talk just that? unbelievable right we got uh jim nance yeah doing golf and college basketball and football he's jim nance just, should just do golf he I works like all him the golf. time he's very good at that he's like he's, he's just like when you hear that voice you go oh, yeah here we go i'm ready it's the voice for golf. And I think, I, I thought the college basketball calls have been good. Am I, am I in the yeah, mind? Yeah, no, he's, he's been okay. I almost I almost didn't I'm write that i just mad at on... him for Gus. I know, you're mad at him. Yeah. Thanks for we, we all, We've all got this like, you know, you got stuff built up for the years, right? Plus yeah. you do have him do every Patriots, every huge Patriots game. So you have it much different. I yeah, no, hear... you're
0: right. I, he's, he's very solid on college
1: troops. He certainly doesn't hurt he it. He gave up. a great call last year, that fantastic final. And then Grand Hill decides to step on the, on the, on the buzzer beater. Yeah. By the way, if you start talking, whenever I talk to play by play guys, the one thing they hate, not, I didn't get this from Dance cause he, I'm sure he would never admit it, but when the color guy talks during the final play, uh, right? the color guys, and they never forget. Out. they never forget. Because, right, that's their highlight reel forever. Yeah. And when the color guy goes, whoa, 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 you know, it's like, no, 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 dude. This is me. Yeah, this Ken is my Dryden. time.
0: <laughs> when Ken Dryden and Al Michaels was doing the do Believe in <laughs> Miracles, he probably started to say something. And Al just probably punched him right in the throat. <laughs> 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 Incapacitated and pretentious. Boom. Oh, absolutely. This is my moment, Ken Dryden.
1: There was a one in the NCAA tournament this year. Vern called a buzzer beater, called it perfectly. Vern, you're like, awesome. Big, big moment. And then I think it was Jim Spinarco. Apologies to Jim Spinarco if I'm slandering him here. But he was like, whoa! It was like (laughs) like a high school game or whatever, you know? Like, no, no, no. We just, we're good. Just take a minute. Then you can do the replay. Tell us what happened. There was a good moment in the uh, Friday night UConn game when, um...
0: They showed the replay of the game-winning shot and the announcers, or maybe I saw it online. They they have these little cameras now where they can catch the announcers in whatever moment they're in. So he calls the game-winner and and Kara Lawson and Doris Burke just had this look of complete astonishment. And then the players started piling over to where they were. So they're all leaning back, kind of scared and (laughs) amused and happy.
1: It was good. That was a good broadcast. It's cool for basketball, right? I feel we don't appreciate this. It's like the other sports are so far away. In basketball, those guys are really close. Yeah, I sat down with the announcer not long ago, and it was like, whoa, like you're not. It's like where you are, and it's, it's like actually, old, it's like the old Michael Jordan thing with chalk, right? You know, in the face of Marv Albert, right? You know, it's, it's too
0: like, close. We did when Jalen and I did a game with Tarico, I think in two, March 2014, so three years ago. It was really hard to to. You almost have to watch the monitors. Where does that sounds. I don't know why they put them that close. I guess because you can hear the refs and. But to say that that's a good view of the game. You can't really get, you don't get depth. You can't tell the spacing. You get blocked a lot. So you, you, you watch the monitor way more than I thought you were going to. And it's not a big monitor either. It's a little one. Right. That was the, mo- I think that might've been the most other than doing the draft. I think that was the most fun I've had doing TV, doing the game, doing the game. Cause it's so fast and you, if you do it right, you want it to be the guy, the play by plays doing it, but you're kind of hanging out, watching it and jumping in and stuff which is what van gundy and jackson i think have gotten to right almost to their detriment in some ways because it's almost too comfortable sometimes basketball is played by playing man sport yes right. it's his call well and i think that was the thing with tariko i really like tariko i think there was a point where he he kind of felt like he had to take back the reins so in <laughs> the fourth quarter he just kind of bulldozed us for a little bit because he felt like these guys are kind of bastardizing play by play should <laughs> be. But he was nice about it but he you could we could feel him kind of pulling the he back was like yeah i gotta yeah and, we're and just also fourth quarter right
1: he's like i gotta i, yeah, gotta, yeah. I gotta call the game you The know? catch
0: was that it was the lakers and they were terrible when we did this so it wasn't like we were doing a playoff game but
1: yeah but yeah it's i mean it's so close though. i mean i don't understand how basketball and i don't so play by play is most mysterious we talk about sports media all the time right yeah sports writers i can't do what a lot of those guys do but i understand it yep. i think um color guys are color guys you know they're ex jocks when you look at these broadcasts or play-by-play guys studio hosts okay you like i don't understand how you do that i don't understand how you get the words out like i just such energy
0: a, the same way yeah. the memory
1: of all the names and you can't screw up right like you
0: screw up and everybody knows it you know i think you need to have a level of like ocd slash um like a fanatical attention to detail All the
1: time. Be somewhere on that. Just
0: even remember, like, all right, first down, right hash mark on the 39-yard line. But you have to do that every time. And these guys, they become almost robots where they know how to do that stuff. So I think it's hard for them to – that's why I marvel at Michael's, especially after having been somewhat in that situation. But his ability to do the play-by-play, to get all the detail, but then also engage with
1: Collinsworth like they're buddies. It's like to do all three is, I think, the hardest. When he did the Malcolm Butler interception, like, first of all, I was, I think I was, I remember, I can't remember I was talking to if it was Fred Gedeli or whatever. And I was like, I'm always interested in, is it the spotter or is it the guy? And it was like, that was all Al. And here's Malcolm right. Butler who nobody in the stands or even on press row even knows. Yeah. And he's on it. Like the ball is intercepted by Malcolm Butler. And he has the kind of like, who, he gets yeah. the tone right. Totally. The incredulity, like one they threw the ball, two this random dude just intercepted it and won the Super Bowl for the Patriots, right? Right. And I look at that call and I'm like, whoa. I mean, it just drilled it. By the I, way, when we do our old timers announcers league, you have to do your catchphrase. It's like when the old wrestlers come out. I was talking with the shoemaker earlier. Announcers, you league? have to do well. Our old timer announcer league. When you oh. come, we bring them out of oh, mothballs.
0: I just, thought this was a
1: fantasy league. I didn't oh, know no, about. No, it. I sorry. got excited. I was yeah. like, "Oh, I can be another fantasy." What's Curtis league. doing? Yeah, we just like when you bring the old wrestlers back and they have to do their special move. The announcer has to do the catchphrase. So you know, when, you've, when you need, when Dick Enberg comes back, does everyone have a catchphrase? Like, what's oh Joe my. Buck's catchphrase? Well, he he's not an old man though. But what he needs
0: one now before he becomes old.
1: <laughs> what does he have? Yeah, I don't think Al would be willing to do. Do you believe miracles in 15 years? He'll have well, way too much pride to bring who that did, one. Up. Who did Mercy? Mercy, I don't know. Wasn't that Vern Lundquist? Yeah, I guess I think Vern Lundquist had like, two. Sounds like Vern. Verne's had like a whole bunch, though.
0: So. Yes, sir, is like his major one.
1: Yeah, I don't even think. I think he
0: stumbled into Yes, sir, because of of, Ma, of Nicholas and the Masters, right? Because that became one of the best ways. It's funny though. Like it, less is almost always more. Yes. Like the Barcelona comeback against PSG, which was like the greatest soccer comeback probably in recent history, and the announcer just killed it. Like he. Talk for 28 seconds straight. I can't believe what I just saw. That was the great. It's like, shut up, dude. I want to hear the crowd. Yeah. And people like Lundquist and Michaels, all these guys, they, you, you lay out a little bit. Joe
1: Buck's really good at it too. And it's not the words, right? Yeah. It's the tone. Yes. It's the tone. If, we, if you and I have been sitting in the press box on Deadline and Miracle and Ice and we submitted our column and the first line was, do you believe in miracles? The editor was sent back and said, try again, Bill. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Good That's one. Yeah, tacky. Yeah. But what, what his was the tone of voice. And it worked, and it was perfect. So why can't we fix baseball announcing? <laughs> How's it so awful every year?
0: I, I just don't understand. What it. are we? The awful especially thing. the local baseball announcers. I, it's just the tone of it. Everything's wrong, all of it. I would change all of it. Everything about just having people that you know they see a a, a batter, and it's like, oh, remember his grandfather? <laughs> oh, what a third baseman he was. Story time. Tell the uh, I remember in 1978 I was there. This is why people, a lot of people like Hubie Brown way more than I do. I've never, I've never been, I've never been a, I didn't, I didn't, I've never understood the. Cult I've never of Hubie. understood it either. And I think now that he's so old, it's like almost like a marvel that he's still doing it. But you know, no sense of humor. Oh, uh, so now I feel like I'm killing Hubie Brown. But <laughs> it's just very technical, right? He cares he cares about the nuts and bolts. He's bringing in stuff from like, you know, be like, ah, oh, that reminds me in the 70s, Bob McAdoo and Bob Kaufman used to run that. But it's like, <laughs> who are you saying this to? Like, nobody under 35, those are those people are. Um, and I don't know. It it just seems like people people get entrenched and then they just, that's it. They get to stay forever. Yeah. Oh, you never get rid I'm of it. I'm pretty them. sure I'd rather hear a player than an 80 year old ex coach at this point. Oh yeah. I mean that in the least hot takey way possible. Like to me, the guys like C Web and uh the guys that the this class of people that are coming out now, right? That are gonna retire soon. Vince Carter, Paul Pierce, um, T Max already on TV with mixed results, but that whole class of guys, those are I would I want to hear those guys doing NBA games because when they do it, they could be like, you know, I tried to stop that man who drive and I remember like this one time he did this, and I you know, you're giving me experience from recently that because you went against the guy. That's kind of what I want from my color guys. It makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I like the knowledge of oh, I I ch- I, you know, I used to race Ferraris and I used to pick up
1: the hood and I used to <laughs> like that's what we want. Absolutely. Um, yeah, you didn't feel like you got that from Matty Gukas in the '90s during the NBA Finals. No, and... he was bad. <laughs> he was one of the worst ones.
0: The irony of Marv's career is that he never really had the right partner. Never. For his entire career until Steve Kerr, and then it was Steve Kerr who found a place. But like Mike Fratello, we thought Mike Fratello was great, right? And he, and, and he was like a total straight man. He's but that's like with Hubie. I think he people's like, oh, he's nuts and bolts. I'm gonna get, you know, I'm gonna get all the. Uh,
1: and it's like, all right. So yes, it's a point about that too. And I feel this is the way history is moving right now. People, especially our very serious sports media critics, yeah, want nuts and bolts. They want a really good, nerdy, technocratic call. And I don't know if I want that. I don't. And that's, that's what I'm saying. I want showbiz. I want a little showbiz, right? It doesn't have to be ridiculous. Uh, All these guys do it too much occasionally, but I like Al and those guys who come from the big, I think it's come from the networks that you have to be showbiz, right? You're competing with sitcoms and late night TV and stuff like that. And. I just feel that there's like a, there's a kind of nerd class that's come up and they're very competent. Like they get everything right. They're very competent. They know more about basketball and football than our, our guys did. Right. They just know. So they read pro football rap, you know, they're just reading all the websites and all the stuff. I just feel like they didn't, they lack a little showbiz and I like, I want that in my life. You know, Collins is great. I mean, I'm biased on that one cause he's my friend, but when I
0: hear the game, like it's the right mix of old guy, but crossed with, he, he coached five years ago. So he's co- he coached against a lot of the people that are in the league, crossed with, gets a little bit about the flair. You know, you don't want to put him at a three man booth cause he's, he's loquacious. Yeah. But when it's just him and one other person, I feel like, all right, this is good. I'm, I'm going to learn stuff from Doug and Hubie, I guess, same thing, but Hubie's very trapped in like, all right, you're down three. You know, you have to foul. You got to get the ball back. You want to foul before the three. And it's like, can I just watch? They're down three. They're Paul. I know Paul George is going to shoot a three. Like, I'm good. I'm good.
1: Can we also share our nerdy announcing point from text messages the other night, which you've it's been your cause for years. Three man booze in basketball. It's rough. Make it stop. Make it it's stop. Rough. We just need one guy. We're good. Just you know, one color you know guy. who's
0: good? Bill Raftery. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I never
0: said, oh, I wish there was a third guy in there with Bill Raftery.
1: Bill Raftery's not funny and charming enough. No, I've never said that in my life. He's
0: trying to rush his lines in because he doesn't know if like Grand Hill's going to start talking. Yeah. He's, he's get, with the, the got with Grand Hill. He's real
1: fast. With the kiss. Oh, real good. Real good. Yeah, it's all right. All right. Yeah. I know. Just two guys. Two guys. There was so many messes made of three-man booths. The mad Magic with, speaking of Marv, Magic Johnson being stuck in as the third guy. Steve Jones and Bill Walton, which was just a glorious mess during the NBA finals. They, they were, yeah, I was going to say they were in the finals. People think Bill Walton's weird now. Remember those days when he was actually calling the oh huge games? Love Bill Walton, but man. I did
0: some of this in my book. The legacy of NBA announcers is just over and over again, people saying, well, that guy was a great player. We'll put him in the booth. And, <laughs> you know, Oscar Robertson did it. Yeah. Oscar Robertson got kicked out during the playoffs was how bad he was. That's what I discovered in my research. But Isaiah, they can never. They put Isaiah with Doug Collins and Bob Costas, which during the last two Jordan, at least the last Jordan year, but that was bad. God, i forgot that was one. I was so yeah, bad, was I forgot it. Bill Walton and the snapper together are like, these guys are feisty. They'll go at each it's other. It's like grumpy old men. Yeah, with, yeah. Um, but Bill Walton didn't need a sidekick. But yeah, it's it's a common mistake. I think with baseball, Baseball is so fucking boring that you need three.
1: Yeah, it doesn't. It, 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 I'm okay with three. In it's baseball. okay with three. Yeah. Yeah. Because, but one of them has to lay back. The, one just has to talk once in a while. Yeah.
0: Which is basically everybody loves Van Gundy and Mark Jackson. Mark Jackson lays back. He's, I was going to say, just, he's just like, he's barely there. Yeah. Like, it's really Van Gundy's show and Breen, and then they kind of go to Mark Jackson and he does shtick. Yeah. And I'm not sure I'm in the everybody camp. Yeah, with that
1: booth, those three.
0: Oh, I'm not either. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. My a, issue with that booth is that Mark Jackson clearly wants to coach again, and I think when, especially in basketball, when you're doing that job and you want to coach again, here you go. You're just not crossing certain lines. You're not going to say like Paul George has got to get over himself. Like he's, you got to be a better teammate. He's not working hard enough. Like that was a big thing when Danny Ainge took over the Celtics job as GM. And he had lit into Antoine Walker the year before in the playoffs. And it was like Antoine wanted to get traded. They had to trade him. <laughs> he was like, This guy, this guy crushed <laughs> me in the playoffs. Me on the air. Yeah. yeah. And that was a big thing. So I think those guys are really mindful of it. I wouldn't I wouldn't have anybody unless
1: they weren't coming back. Yeah. But that's such a that's short tough. list, right? Like Madden was that guy, you know. Madden. Like he was done.
0: Gruden's like that too. When Gruden has you mm-hmm. said one bad thing about a quarterback ever? Brock <laughs> Osweiler could take a shit on the field, and Gruden be like, "Well, you know,
1: I mean, he had to go." Right, <laughs> but he's not coming back, right? I mean, he's had how many chances to year?
0: I don't think he's coming back at this point. He's never gonna too, come he makes back. too much money to. He loves it. So why would you? Why would you leave? Get six million a year to do games? To go coach and, the Rams? Come on, that's why would want you that fired time. in three years? You love, I think the best, the most satisfying start to finish TV broadcast for me is the Masters,
1: It's just which a, is coming up this week. It's of a piece, you know, as weird as it is, right? You know, with the azaleas and the music and I, you know, those aren't, that's not our aesthetic. I'm pretty sure I can say safely, right? Mm. Tinkling piano music and shots of flowers. It just feels like it's a thing. The tone is the same. It's right? a
0: shtick that is proven and it works. And I go into this world for a weekend and Jim Nance's soothing voice, and yeah. let's go over to sixteen.
2: And we
1: still got Vern,
0: Vern right? quest oh,
1: yeah. yeah, yeah, all
0: these guys.
1: Oh, oh, Vern had a great one. Was it? Uh, was it? Blew, Spieth blew it last year, right? So he blew it. He's never been the same. And he was coming back. He was coming back. It looked like he was going to come back and win the tournament, right? Greatest yeah. story of all tournament. And he hits it to like six feet at and at sixteen. Vern goes, "Oh yes." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was just that's all he said, and it was so per- it was such perfect Vern. That's I loved hilarious. it so much.
0: Yeah, it's the mood's nice. It looks great on HD. The yeah. Everybody's like very,
1: and it's, and it's, a great it's Sunday relaxing. to sit there and you kind of, so you kind of fall asleep and wake up again and you feel good. And it's
0: so good. Like the U.S. Open is the other one I like because it's Father's Day. is to watch with my dad before I moved. And now I watch it with my son. Oh no, he would never watch golf in a million <laughs> years. He'd rather <laughs> jam and nail it to his head. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that, that's like the Father's Day tournament. The Masters is the spring is here. Yeah, The azaleas are blooming. Somebody won. Put the jacket. We go into the butler cabin. It's super fucking weird in there. There's
1: paintings and everybody's acting like it's the Blair witch house. Oh my God. And the speed last year having yeah. to give the jacket. Oh, uh. that was so hard. First, I feel CBS has really cleaned up the butler cabin. One of my favorite sports hosts in Dallas pointed, used to point out Craig Miller that Jim Nance would throw it to himself. Do you remember yeah, that? A, He'd be like this. Yeah, and it was a great, great tournament Dance. and Spieth won it. And, and now to Butler cabin. And then you go to Butler cabin and there's Jim Nance. Yeah. You just, just you threw it to yourself. So who throws it to him now? I don't know. I don't know. But I feel like last year I was waiting for it. It didn't happen. Something else happened.
0: All right. We're going to call Sally Jenkins, one of our favorite writers yeah. from uh, the Washington Post. A fair call a legend at this point? I
1: think, I think Sally's in legend status. All yeah.
0: Right. We're going to call her right now. We're going to talk about Gino and the masters and all this stuff. Let's do it. But before we call Sally, baseball started. In fact, as we're taping this podcast, the Red Sox are playing the Pirates, and I'm trying not to look at the TV. The Ringer Podcast Network has baseball fans covered with the Ringer MLB show playing exclusively on the TuneIn app for the month of April. Plus, we're giving listeners a free 30-day trial of TuneIn Premium where you can hear every live home call from every MLB game. Go to tunein.com slash ringer. And subscribe to TuneIn Premium today. Download the TuneIn app and start listening. Today, TuneIn, your everything audio app. All right, as promised, Sally Jenkins from the Washington Post. And she was on a tweet storm today about women's college basketball that reminded me that, you know what, she hasn't been on the podcast yet. So it is a pleasure to have you on. Thanks for coming on.
2: Thank you for finally having me.
0: I know. We were going to do this forever because I felt like when Goodell basically lost his mind with the deflate gate thing. <laughs> you were one of the few national non-Patriot fan media members that I felt like was was really writing about it in the way that it should have been writing about, written about. Why wasn't there more people on that corner?
2: Oh, you know, I think it's because of the initial sort of um, blitz from the NFL of, of stuff about... Uh, air in the footballs, and it looked like an open-and-shut case, and it turns out all that information was erroneous. But, you know, I think there's some people in our profession who might be a little stubborn about walking things back. It's not fun to look wrong. And you trust the league, to to be honest, about that sort of uh, investigation. I mean, this is the first administration of an NFL commissioner where you actually couldn't trust what was coming out of the league office.
0: I It, it seems like some people still trust it. Brian, you're an innocent bystander. Do you do you no. feel like everybody is in on the camp of wow? Goodell has been pretty incompetent here. Oh yeah. You think everyone's in? Okay, because I the,
1: can't tell what's, anymore. What's the pro Goodell camp at this point? I can't even imagine who it is. Is there a pro Goodell camp? I guess. I
2: mean, Jerry Jones.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Right. I mean, but but that's a manipulation. I think. So, you know.
0: I would I mean, say I, some factions of ESPN seem pretty, pretty at least reasonable with Goodell. But then occasionally they'll have, like, the concussions lawsuit outside the Lansing that's It's like, oh, man, surprised <laughs> they were in this one. You know, I still feel well, that way a little bit.
2: Well, you have to try to remain fair-minded, you know, and, and give him the, the benefit of the doubt with every new situation. But but he does, you know, he, he has built a track record now between Bounty Gate and then Deflate Gate and the Ray Rice case where, uh, you know, that's kind of three strikes. And you say, okay, you know. Oh, and Adrian Peterson, For you know, it, it, it just gets to a point where it's a critical mass. And as much as you want to uh, give the commissioner's office and the and the league office the benefit of the doubt, uh, you know, the, the more the, the false statements and the alternate facts pile up, the less inclined you are to do that.
0: Did you ever take heat from the NFL?
2: You know, I haven't. Uh, well, I mean, I, maybe a little remark here and there. Uh, but actually, you know, the, the PR office over there is is very professional, and they don't do that, uh, which I respect them for very much. Hmm.
0: You surprised to hear that, great. Brian? I mean,
2: Gre- Greg Aiello and Paul Hicks are the two guys that I've dealt with mostly over there, and they, they couldn't be, and Brian McCarthy, they couldn't be more professional, those guys. yeah, uh, They actually have a really, a pretty great operation.
1: Weren't they threatening or, or talking about legal action, though, against the New York Times not that long ago, so they're still... They still snarl from that press office once in a while. Maybe they're just yeah, afraid I mean, of Sally. I, to,
2: well, <laughs> I mean, they've, they've certainly never threatened me with anything like that. But, you know, I think the the bottom line is I don't blame uh, the the messengers for the, the message that they're being given by a, a Jeff Pash or a Roger Goodell. I think you have to separate those staffs. I mean, uh, there are some people that are just sort of executing what they're being told to execute.
0: If Goodell came to you and said, I finally figured out that I should fix this. I need to do better. I need to win back the public trust. Give me two tips. What should I do? What would you tell him?
2: Oh, I would tell him to get real on concussions and the, the prescription drug abuses in the league and basically say, you know what? I, I think he could win the public trust with one simple statement. We do not advise parents to let their children play tackle football before 14 years of age.
1: Hmm. That'd be amazing.
2: I don't think well, it's do. the right thing to do, and if he did it, I think people would understand that he was acting incredibly responsibly and in sincere conviction that you know, kids um, shouldn't be bashing their melons against each other before the age of 14. There's not a doctor in the country that thinks that's advisable anymore.
0: My kids are 11 and 9. Brian's are a little bit younger. My 9-year-old son, who in any other generation would have been playing football and banging heads from Pop Warner on, and this generation now, it's like, Not only do we not want them to play, but in school... It's kind of known like, oh, you'd have to be crazy to play football. Yeah, you could get you could really hurt your head. And that that's amazing. But you know, Brian's from Texas. I don't think it's trickled down there yet.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Not back in Texas, but now that I'm a Californian and my wife is a Californian. Yeah, true. We don't even have the discussion. I mean, it's not even should we let let him play football? It's it's no, it's not even on the radar.
0: Yeah. All the the whether however you want to take the concussion studies. The one constant in all of them is that the younger you are when you get your first concussion, the worse it is. Yeah, Everybody at Correct. least seems to agree on that, which makes me think, whoa you know, and it's and not the, just football. It's like, what about hockey? Somebody gets checked yeah, in the boards. And, it's more than just football.
2: Well, right. And the, and the other thing, and soccer and headers, you know, but the thing yep. they all agree on also uh, is, is not just the impact when you're a kid with a thin neck and, and you're whipping your head around in, in those sorts of situations. Um, Instances, But also the the other thing they know is that the repetitive uh, blows over time, the small subconcussive blows over time are just as important. So the younger you start playing football and the more of those little blows you take uh, over time, you know, by the time you're a 25-year-old NFL player or, or even just a collegiate player, a guy getting out of college. Uh, you know, you've taken enough blows by then, potentially, depending on whether you started at six or seven, that you're at risk.
0: Brian, I'm going to ask Sally this after I ask you. Um, What do you think is the most undercovered story right now? Because I actually think it might be football and painkillers, which I've been, in my column, I've been writing about it the last few years, just that I'm amazed that the players are allowed to take Toradol. And now it's starting to become a big ass story. And the Washington Post had this awesome breakdown, I think two weeks ago about just, just how deep and embedded the painkiller culture is in the NFL. And yet I still don't feel like it's a story yet. What, would you pick that or another one? Yeah, more?
1: I think that, I mean, just because that's bubbled up, it's on the top of my mind. But I felt we had that 15 years ago, right? With Shaq and those guys, remember Alonzo Mourning? Oh, yeah, You know, yeah, there was yeah, a big yeah. kind of painkiller. It was in the NBA yeah. at that time. There was a big painkiller moment. And these things, as Sally would be, I'm sure say they're all cyclical, right? You know, and then we forget and we start thinking about concussions yeah. and other stuff. And then we go, but oh, wait a second. People are still gobbling painkillers like that. That's crazy. Yeah. What? Right.
2: We thought, we thought that story was a 1970s story and, or, you know, I mean, it was, it's different drugs in different eras, right? I mean, mm. it's amphetamines for a while, um, you know, pain, you know, it's opiates now and Toradol, anti-inflammatories. You know, the drugs change by era, but the, the basic abuses don't.
0: Yeah, if you ever seen North Dallas 40 on cable, which is a good 40 years ago now with Nick Nolte, like the opening scene is him, he's beaten up, he crawls out of bed, he can barely walk, and he's just popping pills right, just to get through the next couple of hours. But we ran a piece on The Ringer about Kurt Angle, the famous wrestler who, uh, he left WWE. And one of the reasons he left was because he had a really bad pinko addiction. It's like, oh yeah, I knew he had a pinko addiction. Then we write the story and he's like, he was taking like 60 Toradols a day. Whoa. And when you hear that, you're like, you, most people are supposed to take, I think four. Maybe.
2: Well, you're supposed to, yeah, about five doses post-surgery. Right. Uh, and they certainly don't recommend mixing it with other stuff. And uh, the bottom line is any sustained usage of Toradol at all is, is, is it violates the black box warning.
0: Yes. I would agree with that. So what do you, you know, think no, the, What do you think the biggest story is right now that hasn't gotten the full slate of uh, coverage?
2: I would agree with that. I would agree that the, the painkiller issue in the NFL because it dovetails with the opioid the opioid crisis nationally and the DEA's attempt to try to get a grip on it, you know, you got the White House with a with a campaign now against opioid abuse. So it's you know, it's, it's a huge national issue that that uh, you know, the NFL is really just sort of fractional in in that story, the national story of it, the fact that we're a nation of drug addicts right now. But but the NFL, you know, is the maker of manners uh, in some respects for a lot of Americans, you know? Yeah. It's the most popular sport in America. And when you're the maker of manners and you've been very quietly, tacitly approving uh, chronic drug abuse in your league, you know, yeah, that, that's an, that's an incredibly important story and one that really... I think is the sleeping giant.
1: The political part of that is, is fascinating because Trump was talking about opioids all last year. Yeah. And he would go to these, you know, go to go to the, during the primaries and during the general. And, and a lot of the political press at first is like, why are we talking about this? Of all these things, this is the issue. And it turned out to be this incredibly resonant national issue, you know, that he sort of figured out in a weird way. that was very, it was undercover. I- it was undercovered in the popular press. Don't you think so, Sally?
2: I do. I do. And I think a good story that, that hasn't been written is, is a, a really good, hard uh, look at just the culture of sports doctors in general, because they really tend to think that there's a special carve-out for them, that the nature of sports medicine is somehow different from um, the rest of the Hippocratic Oath. And, uh, you know, they, I think they tend to be egotistical, and I think they tend to practice an inverted medicine, uh, that, that, you know, I think in any other instance, uh, we would call it, you know, really malpractice or poor care or uh, a violation of the Hippocratic Oath. You know, do no harm. They're actually putting people back in harm's way. They're masking their injuries and masking their pain level to put them back in harm's way. Right. They're performing surgeries, Are you know, are, they're, they're performing, uh, you know, meniscus surgeries that they know are going to result in knee replacements later on.
0: Yeah, that was – I, I, I think it was Chris – I'm going to say it was Chris Paul. What Sometimes athletes get in this situation where they have the partially torn meniscus and it can either right. heal naturally or they can just take it out. And Kermit, some of them right. are like, yeah, some of them are like, I'm just going to play, man. I got to get back out there. And if you're the team and you have this guy under a four-year contract or five-year contract and all the meniscus data is like, yeah, much later – much later, that's going to really affect him. and It'll probably shorten his career. But for now, it won't really affect him. But the meniscus is basically one of the cushions for your knee. Right. So if you're the team, you're like, great, we'll take it out. It's awesome. You get, you're going to be back out there. Awesome. Great. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I have I never really understood the conflict of interest stuff with team doctors and players and, and the player trusting somebody who's being paid by the team. And it doesn't well, you know, submit the government
2: we all trust our doctors, right? Yeah. You know, like we all kind of defer to them no matter what the arrangement is. You, you kind of think, well, they've got the medical degree. Uh, they wouldn't hurt me. Uh, you know, so it's difficult. It's a tricky situation. And in their defense, so here they have this conflict of interest because, you know, they're all obliged to report to the GM and the coach. Uh, you know, they sort of answer to these non medical people. Um, who are putting lots of pressure on them. They feel like part of the team, so they don't want to hurt the team.
1: Yeah. And
2: then you've got a 25-, 26-year-old kid looking at you saying, you've got to help me, you've got to get me back in there, because my contract says if I'm not on the field, I don't get paid. Right. I've got to get paid. And not only that, but I could get cut. So, you know, there's, there's about five competing uh, pressures on on particularly NFL doctors because of the way NFL contracts are structured that I think can make it very difficult for an NFL physician to make the right long-term medical decision.
0: Well, maybe over the next couple of years, this will be a topic that people jump into. Let's talk about uh women's basketball and Gina Auriemma, who I was always just against for really no reason <laughs> whatsoever. I just, <laughs> it just bothered me that he got to cherry pick the best players every year and he seemed arrogant. And I fully admit I had, no real opinion on it. Just like innocent bystander, just as a sports fan, like, oh, I don't like that guy. And then I was watching the HBO show, um, which is like a behind the scenes type thing, which the first one, they had like four or five months of material to work with and you kind of got to know the girls. So of course I be, I got attached because um, it, that's the rule of sports documentaries. If you get, go behind the scenes with anybody, you end up liking them. They end up losing. As I'm watching this series every week, which it wasn't like it was that in-depth, it was clear that it was like a transitional year, and yet they were still crossing over 100 wins, and they were still undefeated, but they did seem a little bit vulnerable, and then all of a sudden, boom, the big the big upset, and all hell breaks loose. Explain Gino to me, from what you know,
2: as somebody who's followed it for a while. Oh, he's just a super. Coach. I mean, he's just he's a great, great teacher of the game. Uh, he's a great, uh, you know, he's got a great feel for his kids. I mean, you, you watch, I didn't see that documentary, but you watch how his players are with him and how his former players are with him, and you know there's a very, very deep bond there. Uh, you know, they, they're crazy about him, clearly, and he's crazy about them. So, I mean, I don't, I, I don't see anything wrong with the guy. You know, I, I mean, I think he's just a superb coach. You know, I think that Gino, um, you know, my great friend Pat Summit once said, she said, I'm competitive, he's combative. I mean, I think he's got an edge to him, particularly if you're a rival, that can be unpleasant. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think he can be edgy and sort of foul-mouthed, and sometimes I think he does that intentionally for attention, and, you know, I think he's got a, an ego. Uh, I think he, he can shoot his mouth off, you know, but he's a personality. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. It's actually, you know, it's probably interesting for the game. You know, it's, it's very hard to, uh, say there's anything, you know, wrong with, with what he's done. He, he, I mean, it's magnificent. I, I don't, you know, look, I happen to feel that if Pat summit, and I think Gino would agree with this, if Pat summit were still around, I don't know that they win 111 straight games. Mm-hmm. I think she'd have had something to say about that. If yeah. she was healthy, uh, it's kind of like you know not getting to see more matches between Borg and McEnroe for me. Hmm. Um, you you wish they could have played more, you know. You wish you wish Pat. You know Pat was only sixty four when she died. I think Gino is sixty three. Tara Vanderveer is sixty three. You know Pat. Pat's the same age. Was the same age as um, you know those coaches in the Final Four this weekend. So so it's hard for me as a friend of Pat's to to sort of not think about those hundred eleven games. That said. It is the hardest thing in the world to coach a team through that many games in which they do not beat themselves. UConn never once beat themselves in 111 games. That's almost impossible to do. They knock down every big shot. They bring their best in every big moment. They never uh, show up and choke. They never uh, show up and don't defend, don't run the floor. I mean, the habits that they coach in that program – You just you have to just sit back and admire. There's nothing else to do but just sit back and compliment that and say, that's extraordinary. How
0: are Pat and Gino similar? Because it does seem like... I remember there was a great, great, great documentary in the late 90s about... It was behind the scenes with Tennessee for a year. It was actually one of the models that we used when we were coming up with 30 for 30. It was was just... I, I don't know why she did it, but really let everyone behind the curtain... And just players crying all the time and her really breaking people down and then building them back up. And it was one of the most fascinating hours I've ever spent because I really, I left it. I was thinking like, she's like kind of a genius.
2: Like like she she just,
0: she picks whoever the player is and gets that player to where she needs them to get to. Even if it means like almost destroying them emotionally to get there and then they get there and then they're with her for life. It does seem like Gino does a little of that too. I, I don't know if they remind
2: me oh, of each yeah. other. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know the, what they both do, what they have in common, and and the reason you like that documentary about Pat is, uh, first of all, it was it was made by a documentarian who went on to win an Oscar later. Uh, it's but they're great filmmakers. Um, number two, Pat did in fact give them you know complete unfettered access. Uh, I think because she was secure about what she was doing. Hmm. Um, and about herself, which I always found really interesting about her. You know, she'd let anyone into her locker room or into her huddle. uh, And I always found that fascinating. So many coaches are paranoid or worried that they'll say the wrong thing or worry that they'll cuss in the wrong moment. And she was such a lady. She didn't use that language anyway, so she wasn't worried about it, you know. Um, but, But back to your original point, you know, like I would get uncomfortable every now and then, and she'd say, what do you think? And I'd say, well, gosh, that was hard to watch. And uh, I remember one time she was working with a kid in uh, individual workouts, and and she'd really been on the kid. And I said, you know, I was just kind of a little embarrassed for her. And Pat said, Sally, she said, what is more embarrassing? You know, what just happened with me in that gym alone or what she could do to embarrass herself in front of 40,000 people? Hmm. She said, I'm trying to keep her from embarrassing herself. And, and I was like, all of a sudden the light bulb went on, and I said, oh, right, you know. And then everything after that, everything I ever saw her do with a player, uh, you know, you really just appreciated so much because you understood she was trying to give them, um, you know, these moments like Morgan William had uh, against UConn, you know, these moments where you can hit the big shot under pressure. That's just an incredible gift. Teachers, teachers like Pat and Gino are actually very, very, very unselfish, um, very, very generous. They... They want kids to have that experience. Pat had that experience as an Olympian in 1976. She had that experience cutting down nets eight different times. She wanted kids to feel that, and she wanted to give it to them. And, and once you understood that about her and you understand that about Gino's work with his players, it you, it you stop looking at it as harsh, and it becomes very, very generous.
0: Brian, how would you compare that to John Calipari's? eight-month relationship with his players before they leave.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't even have a chance to break them down, right? He has a chance He's to do just anything. He's trying to
0: keep them. Yeah. <laughs> keep them eligible, tra- right? He's trying to put his arm around him and be their buddy. <laughs> yeah. It is interesting, though, like with – you saw, like, especially Becky Hammond, and it's become a story in the last year, like, could Becky Hammond coach an NBA team? And Adam Silver's come out and said, I want this. I want this to happen. And yet when Pat Summit peaked – which I would say the 90s and the first part of last decade. Um, I don't really, was, was there a could Pat Summit coach an NBA team
1: storyline? That, that, that was a sports radio argument for sure. Oh, Sally, Sally would know how, yeah. how close it actually yeah. got, but that was talked about all the time, yeah.
2: It was talked about all the time, uh, you know, as, in, in, as a theoretical. And also she was twice invited to apply for the men's job at Tennessee. Uh, oh yeah, men's actually, college.
0: Yeah, I, w- I was yeah. talking NBA. I that men's yeah. college. I remember In- as a story, but not NBA.
2: NBA, uh, you know, again, that was more of a theoretical. That was always the theoretical discussion. But Pat always had a great answer. You know, when someone would say, "Pat, don't you want to coach men?" and she would say, "Why is that a step up?" <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, that was kind of her take. I remember Tony Kornheiser and Mike Wilbon one time we were, we were all, I think having a drink together and they were on her about that. Pat, you need to coach men, you know, you need to try it. It would be the greatest thing in the world. And she just said, she said, you guys, you know, women need me more.
0: Well, I would say, I would say a coach could have a bigger impact on a woman's team than a men's team because, um, because they, you know, you're going to have the player for four years and the men's it's like, they can say what they want about, you know oh no no studies it really matters uh mark few is really the only one who might even have a chance to have his team intact for three straight years and actually build winning habits and stuff i like coach k to me is i think it's hilarious that he you know tries to pretend academics is that important to him and he's recruiting one and done guys left and right unc i guess is a little closer to the middle but they had 20 years of academic fraud so it's hard to
2: right
1: Hard to yeah. to take them that seriously. <laughs> yeah, it really chips away at the gravitas of the coach, right? <laughs> this leader of young men, quote unquote, yeah. right? young women, right? But like with the young men, you don't have them. So no. you're, not their, you're not their drill sergeant for very long anymore. Sally, you who, know, oh, go ahead.
2: Well, I was just going to say, you know, what's kind of too bad about the whole thing on the men's side is I never saw anybody enjoy college more than Kevin Durant did one year at Texas. I mean, he really had a blast. I mean, I went down there and did a story on him while he was there. I mean, he loved it. Yeah. Tiger Woods will tell you that, you know, if he he made one, the biggest mistake of his life was not staying at Stanford for another year. Yeah. Um, You know, they come out because they're anxious to start their greatness, and and I get that. I understand that. Um, But, you know, I mean, just to tell one more Pat Summit story, when Peyton Manning was trying to decide whether to come out of Tennessee after three years, uh, Um, he actually went to Pat and said, what do you think? And she said, well, you know, I think you really have to ask yourself, are you ready to be a Sunday guy? Are you ready to go to work on, you know, seven days a week and be a Sunday guy? Or do you still want to be a Saturday guy is the way she put it. And she said, I think you're still a Saturday guy. And he said, I I think I am, too. So he came back to Tennessee, you know.
1: I'm going to start stealing that. Yeah,
2: <laughs> it's a nice way to put it. We're all
1: Sunday guys at the ringer though. Yeah. We don't have Saturday yeah, we don't have so We're not allowed to have Saturday guys. Okay.
0: Hey, quickly, the Masters are coming up. Do you remember, your dad is obviously the most famous golf writer of all time. Do you remember going to Augusta when you were like, I don't know, seven years old?
2: So here's the funny thing about Augusta. Like I went to US Opens at seven years old. I went to the British Open at 11 years old. I wasn't allowed to go to the Masters until I was an adult.
0: Allowed by who?
2: By my father. He, oh. he didn't take, first of all, I was in school. So, you know, those other tournaments were in the summertime, so I was still in school. But he, he just wasn't going to pluck me out of school and take me to the Masters. It was such a small place, it was a small press room. Um, he basically said, uh, and then when I was old enough uh, and I wanted to go, he said, no, you have to earn your way there. You have to, you have to earn your way as a journalist, you have to get a credential. Um, and earn your way there. So it kind of wasn't, it was weird. The masters was the one, one tournament I didn't go to.
1: Hmm. That's wow. Um, and I wh- think
2: partly it's because of the time of year, but I also think partly it was an atmosphere thing.
0: What's your favorite thing to cover? I'm sure you've covered everything at this point. What was number one?
2: Um, you know, it varies depending on the great athletes that are enlivening the sport there was a, a moment when figure skating was my favorite thing to cover because Brian Boitano was the greatest skater anyone ever saw. There are years when tennis is the, you know, I think tennis writers are having uh, a great year right now with with Roger Federer. Yeah. So, uh, you yeah, know, I, I think it very much is personality driven. I loved covering, you know, I was very lucky. I got to catch the last of Chris Evert and Martina Navatilova in tennis, and I got to catch. Um, you know, the Agassiz-Sampras epics, you know. So th- those were good years. Uh, a couple of Ryder Cups were, you know, upset wins by Europe at the Ryder Cup standout. So it really, it could, it could be any sport depending on... I mean, the, one of the great experiences I ever had was following around the University of Tennessee when they were winning three straight national championships. And, you know, getting to lift the lid on Pat Summit in those years when she was at her very best was really instructive, uh, for me as a sports writer.
0: I really like that answer. I, I didn't think you were going to answer it that way, but that makes so much sense. Cause I was thinking about, you know, men's soccer right now in, in the U S and this kid Pulisic, who I think is going to be like really special. Like he has a chance to be, we always joked about, or not joked about, it was always like, well, what if soccer had its Tiger Woods or, I mean, during the heyday of yeah. Tiger Woods, it was always like, well, what if this sport had Tiger Woods? What if boxing yeah. had Tiger Woods? And I think, yeah, I think he has a chance. I don't want to jinx it, but he's special. And he's playing for one of the top eight teams overseas already. And he's 18. And he comes into these uh, these two World Cup qualifiers we had and is doing things that no American player has ever done before. And it kind of ra- raises the possibility like, well, all right, let's say the L- LA has the Olympics in 2024. And we're trying to win the Olympics, and this kid is now twenty-three. Like that might be the most special event of that Olympics. It's at least on so you, the radar now, you know.
2: That's yeah. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And you wait for those, you know.
0: Yeah, I wish we had more. I think the people in the seventies had had a whole bunch of them all at the same time. We, we're lucky right now in basketball, I think, and definitely in football quarterbacks.
2: Yeah, but, we're having a genius cluster.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we and, really are. and the greatest like one year run starting at last year's NCAA tournament final yep. of, of just of, excitement of amazing big games. But that could also be a sign that the world's ending. <laughs> if, I, if, I, if
0: the world was going to end, wouldn't God be like, well, I'm going to have all these unbelievable sports things. I'm going to get it all out now. I'm going to never the Cubs win the World Series after a rain delay when they blow in the ninth inning. Yeah. And I'm going to have a 25 point right. comeback. All right, Sally. Thanks so much for coming on. I'm glad we finally did this. You have a permanent invitation to come back whenever you want.
2: Thank you. Bring me back. I really had
0: fun. <laughs> All right. Great. Thank you.
2: Okay.
0: Bye bye. Uh, before we bring back Brian, one more time mention the Ringer Podcast Network, but WrestleMania 33 happened. And uh, the masked man broke it down right afterwards. David Shoemaker. Brian Curtis's. My oldest God, friend. My God, David Shoemaker. My God. It's Shoemaker's music. So that is a new podcast feed. He did a bunch of them last week. I was on one of them, but you can subscribe to the Mass Man Show or follow uh, follow it on Twitter. You know, By oh God, you know what I like the the Sally Jenkins, the 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 Pat Summit stuff. It really does seem like she was one of a kind. She does. I don't yeah. know. I just didn't like watching women's basketball that much. I never, you know, it wasn't really till the last few years when, uh, as my daughter got older and I had to strip away all my stupid sexist habits with sports and just kind of look at things differently. And the Pat Summitt thing, I just feel like, I don't know if that happens again. She might've been a unicorn.
1: Yeah. Oh, I'm certain. So, well, I mean, besides Gino, right? I mean, we got, Yeah. I mean, Gino, Gino just lost his first game with ever 111 game <laughs> win a, streak, but she made a good point though. Yeah. If it's, if, if it's, if she has, if, if it's still there, if he Gene, had his greatest, no way, dri- if he had his greatest rival, what, yeah. would that, what would that have been like? That would have been amazing. Because
0: it really does seem like there's maybe three just kick-ass female basketball recruits a year. Absolutely. And you kind of just gets all three now <laughs> or two of the three. <laughs> but when Tennessee was there, like when Elena Deladon, I think she left one of those, but she went back to Delaware. But that was one of the rare times you had this absolute stud that wasn't it. Yukon, but yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's been documentaries about pet summit, but nothing was as good as that HBO one that just, from, which was very early behind the scenes sports documentary, but it was really good.
1: And as she pointed out, they
0: went on to win an Oscar. We never talked about Dick Vitale. Ugh.
1: So you, I'm, I'm in recovery. You posted I'm a profile. Just, <laughs> you stayed in his house. I did.
0: You stayed at Dick had, Vitale's I, I house. I had an upstairs
1: bedroom. Yeah. Unbelievable. I had to, I wanted to observe him and in, uh, in his natural habitat.
0: Did you wake up by him just opening the door and go, hey, baby, we're going to do this. Get up. I'm making you scrambled eggs. It
1: was literally true because I came down at 7 in the morning, right? Yeah. And the the living room's dark and Bill. And you don't want to just go opening doors in, in people's houses because, you know, this guy's been on ESPN for 38 years. Don't want to open the wrong door, right? right. we we'll lose every, whoa, whoa, yeah, wrong yeah. memory, you know? But I'm sitting there and all of a sudden I hear this, hey, everybody, Dick Vitale here. I'm coming up on Mike and Mike in the morning at 7.20. And I'm like, whoa. And it was down the hall when I kind of followed the followed this, you know, incredibly ecstatic sound down the hallway and he was just sitting there in his office, you know, recording promos for Twitter so that to advertise his Mike and Mike appearance. So, so the, the takeaway
0: of the story was this guy just loves being involved.
1: He yeah. just wants
0: attention. And he has and he has he ins- goes out to dinner seven days a week. I thought that was interesting. <laughs> Nothing in the fridge, apparently. No,
1: he he's not he's not eaten at home, his wife said in something like 14 years. Doesn't want to be alone. He doesn't want to make. He needs love. He needs the love, right? It's not, you know. He is. If you see him with people, he's unbelievably generous. He'll take selfies, sign pictures. You know, he's like, "Give me your address. I'll send you something." Here's an autographed book that I wrote. People are like, "Great, thanks, Dickie V." But he also has this need to be loved. He really wants to be, you know. He wants that attention. That just very so like benevolent on. Trump. Yeah, we all want to be like yeah <laughs> benevolent Trump. <laughs> Danny with the, T. With benevolent Trump with an even yeah. more frenetic Twitter account. I think. Yeah. And also just the think more
0: unpredictable Twitter accounts about
1: thinking of him at this point, you know, he's one of the last links to 79, you know, it's Bob Lee, it's Chris Berman in his reduced role. Cliff Drysdale, the tennis guy, by the way, not often in this, we don't often oh, mention yeah. him and he was there in 79 True. and Dickie V who is like going along and making seven figures from ESPN and, you know, and just like doing his thing, you know, and
0: kept Howie Schwab. Even though Harry and, Schwab got laid off, like just hired him.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was surprised to see that I just walked in and there's where it's like, Oh, Howie's here. He's like his right hand guy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he was he just an how he was staying in the house too. Yeah. So it was just like, I was kind of like in, in this kind of amazing ESPN of your land. It was kind of fun.
0: I thought it was interesting how
1: upset he was that they took him off Carolina Duke it's, like that. It was, he's a, hurt, you know, he hurt, would, he's he, wounded. He was, it was, you know, now we all announcers all get pissed about assignments. He was not pissed. He was wounded. Uh, He was really, really wounded. And he was just like, you know, it still hurts. And he really doesn't understand why they took him off the game. And you called a couple ESPN. Did you talk to John Skipper? I got a statement from
0: John Skipper. And you talked to John Wildhack? Yes. Now the Syracuse AD? Now the
1: Syracuse AD, yeah. Yeah. We never really got along.
0: (laughs) 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 I thought it was funny to see him in a ringer piece. There you go. He was, was very great, gracious
1: terms. to answer questions. And I talked to Brent Musberger too, which was very fun. You know, He's said, like, Did you have to call hello, 100 hell, number? Hello, my friend. Yeah, he gave me, he gave, I got nine picks and then I did an interview about Dickie V.
0: I don't know if Dickie V happens again. I, I think the internet would, in the early stages of it, the internet would shape it a different way.
2: Cause yeah. he, he was
0: so not self aware for so many years that then it just became him. Berman was like this a little bit too, where you just, you're just going a certain way, and you don't realize that there's this whole other demo being like, "What the hell's going on here?"
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, does that make he, sense? Yeah, because he was shaped in an era where he would do his thing, and yeah. I mean, he would have to arrive. Just at did your thing. He would have to arrive at a basketball gym to hear people chanting his name to know whether he was doing it right you know? And he told me it took a couple of years. Like he starts at ESPN 79. It's kind of, he said like 84 when Jim Valvano won the, when NC state won the national championship, all of a sudden people at arenas are like, Oh, Dickie V's here. This is a thing. But he really didn't know. He was just kind of being, you know, this, this strange loud dude on
2: television.
0: Hmm. Uh, ESPN layoffs coming. Yeah. We don't know what's happening yet, but it sounds like there's going to be a big makeover in the company. Just sounds like a, really interesting time for that place where sports center is basically going to go away during the day. It'd be relegated to a completely different thing. And they put all their chips behind like a morning sports center. It seems like with Mike Greenberg. Yeah. show Or a, show a, a or morning, a
1: morning, more of a morning, morning talk show, morning talk show type thing. You have that Neil Everett sports center. It's going to run according to Jim Miller, going to run before it. Really? you're going to run late night and they'll rerun it in the morning. Then first take. First take. Then a bunch of, talking heads, people. It sounds like like the FS1 model. It really kind of does. That they were rejected. I mean, I know they'll have a lot of reporting, you know, in SportsCenter and all that stuff, but I don't know. I think when we talk about 79, I just think like one thing of me, it's like the old ESPN that we knew is just drifting away for various, for different reasons. But there is a moment you're just going to look at that network and go, I just don't have that 20 year, 15 year, 30 year, 40 year connection to any of these people anymore. These were all new people. Right, or you know, newish, you know. Scott Van Pelt's the veteran, right? Like that. That's you look, crazy. These you look the look veterans, at, yeah. yeah. But you look at that, and it's kind of like that, right? It's getting to be like that, you know. Or, or Tony and Michael, or the, you know, and that we remember when that was new. Yeah, you know, and so it's funny. It's really funny.
0: What would you think? What would ESPN do if it could just start over in every with all the things they know they have to do now? Do you
1: think they would still be in Bristol? No way. Do you think it'd be in New York, LA, Orlando? I mean, I just think it would be, you would just logically build it somewhere like that, especially so you could get talent to go there, right? I guess. Nice place for people to move to.
0: Because for years and years, Bristol was the biggest advantage they had. Because it was like, they'd have these people, they were trapped there. They bought a house. <laughs> Kids fr- in the schools. Public schools, yeah. And then it's like, if somebody tried to recruit them, they had to offer... Over a hundred, 150,000
1: more and right. make it worth their while to get out of there. Yeah. I mean, we could say, why didn't we build the ringer in Needles, Arizona, you know, or Needles, California. Right? We thought, we thought, move yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, everybody out there would have gone Texas. There yeah, we go. We'd have gone like, uh, some like
0: San Antonio.
1: Oh, I'm, they I'm, would have loved us. I would have been in, you know, that. a lot
0: of Spurs coverage. <laughs> A lot of barbecue. <laughs> We'd have to put a gym in the Ringer offices.
1: Oh my God, it would have been great. But Shay would have been a, excited. Oh, Shay would have loved it.
0: I do think it would a competitive advantage to them for a while. But now I think, now that they realize they have to kind of remodel a lot of the programming to get people to come to Bristol for some of those shows, it's like oh, you know, they blow the car wash out of proportion when it's uh, you know, it's like oh, Hank Azaria is passing through today, <laughs> and it's and he's on seven shows. I don't
1: really understand that model. Yeah. And the other thing I always hear when I talk to people in, in the, the, the strange land of sports TV is that ESPN for so many years said, don't be bigger than the brand, right? Yeah. You're, you are a cog within this beautiful machine and easily shiftable and replaceable. And now they've gone the other way and they say, here are the 10 people that are our big stars and everything's branded around them. Right. Yeah. Mike Greenberg, Scott Van Pelt, it, like the mu- suddenly the music stopped and it was just a totally the opposite strategy. Well, why do you think they did that? Well, I just think this is what they're playing. I mean, they just changed the plan completely, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't Keith. Ol- it wasn't Dan Patrick. Like, okay, Dan, you're big. You know, you're, you're the legend. You're the, one of the greatest who's ever done sports highlights ever. And so it's your show. It's no, it's these other guys because they were the you know now this is the the group and gals that's left. It's funny. It's just a funny. I would argue that for years and years,
0: including for the entire time I was there, they thought the brand was Sports Center and Games, yeah, in that order, and then it became Games and Sports Center, and then it was Games, Sports Center, and PTI. Online is not part of this, and then it became Games, Sports Center, PTI, and Online. And it so you always had the the big things that they cared about. And then over the last five years, it became clear that SportsCenter was the least important out of those four things, because so many people were getting highlights and videos on the internet. And unless it was the SportsCenter immediately following a game, there was just no real necessity to watch it. But they, it took, you know, when I was there, they're having all these how to save SportsCenter meetings. But the people that were in the meetings were the same people that were the reason Sports Center was what it had become, <laughs> you know, so they're all defensive. Like, for instance, I, I was in a bunch of different ideas meetings for different parts of the company. I was never invited to a How to Save Sports Center meeting because it would have been almost too much of a red flag that there was something wrong, probably.
1: The, the, we brought Simmons in.
0: Yeah, well, why is he
1: here? Well, and oh, I think you, he gets along with Skipper. That means must mean something. In addition to being the signature, signature franchise, it just gave that network so much. I think I've already used the word gravitas in this podcast. So apologies, but it gave it so much gravitas because we're doing the news, right? Yeah, we're doing the news, right? This is not silly sports bells and whistles going on. We're doing the news, even though it's a funny newscast most of the time. It's a newscast, and as soon as that kind of goes away, then it's like, oh, talk shows. Oh, it just feels different, right? It just feels like it's less serious, even though we know that, you know, sports Center's not, it wasn't like, you know, Walter Cronkite at the peak, but it's like, it was, No, but there was a narrative, was you know, it, in 1995, if it's
0: two o'clock and I'm watching sports center, I don't know who won the games. Absolutely. So it's Minnesota versus Golden State. I'm on the edge of my seat. Cause yeah, it's like, and then Pooh Richardson hit a three. I'm like, Oh, did they win? And it's like, <laughs> Oh, did they win? And now it's like, I know who won. So why am I watching it?
1: Yeah. Oh, I agree. I mean, I agree completely. Like
0: yesterday I'm but, watching because it's like LeBron and Tristan Thompson yelled at each other. And if I, if I happen to be watching SportsCenter and it's like, here, this comes up, here's what happened. I'm like, oh, I wonder if they have a take on this. I'm just
1: changing. Our our thinking psychologically of ESPN changes when there's no longer a newscast telling you things you don't know. Right. All of a sudden it just feels different. Yes. Like, oh, it's just people giving opinions. I can give opinions. They don't have any special power. They may be funnier than me and better looking than me and or all that stuff. Ex athlete. Yeah, but they may just not. They Here's don't have. a linebacker played. What when, do you think? When people know news in journalism, they have a special power, right? They say they know things I don't know, right? They yeah. know the score of the game or they know they're Adam Schefter and they know the trade or something like that. And as soon as you take that away, all of a sudden, it just, there's something less mystical about it. I don't know. It's funny. What'd you think of Clay Travis's theory that Bob Iger wants to run for president I, I thought that and that making Yaskin way left? Uh, if I were, uh, <laughs> if I were running, if I were, I don't think my plan to win the Democratic primary would be who I followed on Twitter first. I just, I just yeah. thought that was bonkers. <laughs> you <laughs> you I thought Jamel that was yeah. first. All right, here's how. Here's how I win the Iowa caucus. Right, Jameel Hill following <laughs> her on Twitter first. Message, <laughs> message, message to, message to Iowa. I thought that was, I thought that was, I thought it was a very, I thought the piece was distasteful, but I also thought the logic of it was, was not, was crackers. I just thought it and was. And yet,
0: man. if Bob Iger runs for president, it'll be hilarious. Yeah. I'm, I'm, i Clay Travis, I'll come back on here and Twitter tell Clay, follow. and
1: tell Clay Travis, I'm, I'm sorry. You were, you were, you were right about that part. I do think it's possible he runs for president. Trump has showed that anything is possible in politics. I would not rule him out. I mean, look, anybody could run at this point, I believe.
0: I it. think he wanted to be the baseball commissioner very secretly, and that was never going to be in the cards. And then I think he wanted to be involved in an NFL ownership, and that wasn't in the cards, and that fell through. And now he's still in charge of an awesome multimedia company, but also knows that a CEO can't be charge of that company for 20 years. That that's never that never ends well, ever. Every sign ever says that's going to end badly. I don't know. I I would have thought it would be more likely for him to be the senator or
1: something. Yeah. If you told me right now you're moving to Orange County and you're going to run against Daryl Issa next year, I'd say great. Oh, that makes sense. Me personally? Yeah, because everything's happening right now. Trump won. Everything's in play. <laughs> Representative Simmons, maybe the, the Undertac- Honorable Bill Simmons, maybe the Undertaker. That should be his next move. <laughs> Governor Undertaker. I'm gonna bring the I'm gonna bring this government back from the dead. He'd this have is a the, f- the bumper stickers right itself, right? 14 minute entrance. Here's what America's gonna do.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna make this budget rest in peace. There you go. Yeah, listen. After Schwarzenegger, I'll believe anything. If there's nobody that could run for president that wouldn't surprise me. Brian Curtis, what's your next story? Uh, I don't know. Let's talk about it after
1: we get off the air here. All right. Thanks for coming on. Thank you.
0: Thanks to uh, Sally Jenkins. Thanks to SeatGeek, our presenting sponsor. And thanks to T-Mobile because they are giving away a free year of MOB.TV Premium. That's a $112.99 value. It's absolutely free, only for T-Mobile customers. You get unlimited data. You won't blow up your phone bill. All you have to do is download the T-Mobile's Tuesdays app. From the App Store, April 4th, you get your free year of MLB.tv Premium, either in that app or you can go to TMobile.com backslash MLB. Uh, blackouts and other restrictions apply. See terms of use for details. And also, don't forget about the Ringer Podcast Network, where we have really something for everybody at this point. Also, I got to say, like, what is it? Month, we're in month 11 now for the Ringer?
1: It's not even that, is it? It's June, I June. Think this is our oh, 11th this, oh, month. Oh, yeah, we're starting. We're month. starting
0: our 11th month.
1: It feels like it's been like four years. I, mean, I know. We're feeling, I feel we're feeling like we're
0: we're, we're getting There's into so it. There's so much content on this site today. It was really one of those days where you go and you're like, you got WrestleMania, Major League Baseball preview, March Madness, Curtis writes a Dick Vitale feature. Um, you have uh, Big Little Lies. Oh, yeah. A couple Big Little Lies. I mean, it's just like, Pop culture, sports tech, all that stuff. So check it out. And especially when there's a lot of stuff, NBA playoffs, all that stuff.
1: Is that stuff. going to be so, a big subject for us?
0: Yeah, I think we're going to potentially NBA playoffs, Game of Thrones, all that stuff. So anyway, uh, two more podcasts coming later in the week. And if you missed it, Kevin Durant was on on Friday and we spent an hour and a half with him in Oakland. And uh, that's a topic for another time with us, Ooh. Kevin Durant and the era of candid athletes. I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated. I'm totally fascinated. He's the only one who would do something like that. Yeah. Like LeBron's, I'm not going to LeBron's house and spending an
1: hour and a half shooting the shit with him. It's like really just Durant would have the balls to do that. This is what we people who try to get these people to quote unquote open up, as they say, tell them all the time, just be yourself and it'll be much, you'll be so much more interesting. Yeah. And and he's, he's just like, I'm going to be myself. People can tell the difference. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a strategy that should
0: work more often, but you really have to trust, I guess, who you are as a person. I don't know if, uh. I don't know if a lot of guys would do that. Anyway, a topic for another time. Back later in the week with more on the BS Podcast. Until then.